and welcome to the well here at STSA. So happy that you came to join us. We are starting a brand new series today, and if you like action, adventure, and James Bond movies coming out soon, then we have the best thriller here for you during these next five weeks as we are starting a series today called Identity Crisis, The Search for Me. And what we're going to be talking about during these next five weeks, I don't want to say every problem in life because I don't want to make it too general, but I want to say there are a lot of problems that we face in life that the root of it is we don't know who we are. Depression, fear, anxiety, insecurity, stress, so many of the things that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Again, I'm not saying 100% because some things are outside of our control, but there are so many things in our life that we struggle with because we don't know who we are. And our goal for these next five weeks, as, as the, the title says right there, is to understand who we really are and discover our true identity and how we are meant to live. And I believe that for so many of us who are spending so much time focusing on the outward behavior of life and trying to change things on the outside, that if we spend these five weeks and understand who we are on the inside, the outside will naturally take care of itself. Because our identity, what we think about ourselves, is like the autopilot of life. Okay, it kind of guides where it is that we end up. So what we're going to do is not focus on the outside, but focus on the inside and see if that makes a difference. But before we get to that, has anybody ever heard of a man named Benjamin Kyle? I spoke about him on New Year's Eve, for those who were with us on New Year's Eve. Anyone ever heard of a man named Benjamin Kyle? Benjamin Kyle is a man, but that's actually not his real name, but that's the only name that he knows. The story for Benjamin Kyle is as a man who's been living without an identity for the past 11 years. Because back in 2004, I think it was October 2004, so almost exactly 11 years, Benjamin Kyle was found outside of a Burger King in Georgia somewhere, not too far from Atlanta, beaten, naked, and unconscious. Beaten to a pulp, no clothes, obviously no identification, no nothing on him, and completely unconscious. They took him to the hospital, Okay, and they did whatever they needed to to revive him and get him back going. But after they revived him, they realized that he had no idea who he was. Condition called dissociative amnesia. Couldn't remember a thing about himself. Name, parents, couldn't remember anything. The police put out uh, things to, to, to try to ask people, like uh, the APB, to try to see if anyone knows who this guy is. They did fingerprints, nothing matched. They did DNA testing, couldn't find anything. They put him on the local news and said, does anyone know who this is? No one responded. NPR talked about him. He even was on Dr. Phil. And they couldn't find who this guy was. They actually made a documentary about him, in case you don't believe me. It's called Finding Benjamin. And there was a search for 11 years, which actually, surprisingly enough, they actually just discovered his true identity about a month ago. So this problem has been resolved. But for 11 years, for 11 years, this guy lived with no identity. His name, Benjamin Kyle, isn't actually his name. It was just the name that was given to him because he was found outside of a BK, Burger King. So they gave him BK as the initials. They, the nurse basically, even they spelled Benjamin wrong, if you see it, okay? Basically, they had to come up with a name to identify him, and that's what they came up with. 
Benjamin Kyle lived for 11 years, not knowing if he had a family or no family, not knowing if he had a degree or no degree. He lived basically as a, as a poor person because he couldn't get a job. He had no a social security number, no birth certificate, no nothing. No one would hire him. He didn't know if he was trained to do anything. Can you imagine what would life would be like if you didn't know who you were? You know, this guy, Benjamin Kyle, who I said, like, like I said, was living like a poor person. No job, no money. For all we know, he could own 10 cars somewhere in, 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 in Europe somewhere. He could have millions in the bank somewhere. Like that's what they, they were led to believe, that he's not local from this area. That's why no one could identify him. He could have millions in some Swiss bank account. He could have tons of family and grandmas and uncles and parents, all that stuff, who love him, but just have no idea. The guy lived alone, not because he was alone, but because he just didn't know who he was. The guy lived poor, not because he was poor, but because he didn't know who he was. The guy lived a miserable life, not because he was a miserable person, but because he didn't know who he was. And I think Benjamin Kyle's story is actually a lot of our stories. There are many people today living without an identity. Actually, no, I take that back. Having no identity like Benjamin Kyle is bad. Many people living today with the wrong identity, which is worse. Like Benjamin Kyle at least had no idea who he was. So he was kind of starting from scratch right there. We not only don't know who we are, we have the wrong idea of who we are, which is actually worse. Unlike Benjamin Kyle, we here, we have some, we have some ideas, some, some places to start. For example, our boss tells us who we are, and we listen to our boss. Our parents told us who we are. We listen to what they say. If you're married, God knows your spouse tells you what they think of you and tells you who, they, who you are. You have what society, and I don't even know what that means, society, okay, but we just kind of global blanket statement of society who tells you you are. You have who you think you are and what you think about yourself. And some people, good self-esteem, some people, poor self-esteem. And then, yeah, there's kind of what God thinks about us. We kind of know like a few random verses. We kind of see them up on, on posters and on walls. We like to see them on Twitter, put them on our Facebook status. We kind of see these verses that talk about these things, but we don't really understand them. We don't really apply them to ourselves. They're just kind of like nice, like motivational, encouraging things that like pick me up if you ever need it. And basically we take all this, what our parents told us, what our boss tells us, what our spouse tells us, what society tells us, what these random verses that we don't really understand. We put all these together, some smorgasbord, and we create an identity out of that. And we live based on that identity. Well, what would happen if that identity was wrong? Would that affect your life? Would it affect your life if who you think you are is different than who you actually are? Would it affect you? Absolutely it would. King Solomon in Proverbs 23 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Will having the wrong idea about who I am affect me? Absolutely. This isn't hard, people. Just look at, we, we know this, we understand this intuitively with children. If I take a child and I tell him every day from the day he's born, you're stupid, you're stupid, you're stupid. You'll never amount to anything. You're worthless. You're dumb. Is that going to affect the way he lives his life? Absolutely. Like, this isn't hard to believe. And by the opposite. If I take a child, and I honestly, if you ask me, what is the role of parents? Not even just parents, my own children, but us old people to the little people in society. Our role is to say, you can do it. I believe in you. And that's all I want from my kids. I want my kids to know if he's taking a test, you can do it. You may not be, get the best grade, but you can do it. This test isn't above you. You're trying out for a sport, you can do it. Even if you don't do it, you can do it. If we teach our children to believe in themselves, will it affect their lives versus the kid who's totally stupid his whole life? Absolutely. Well, I believe the same is true for adults. We just don't see it as clearly, but the same is true. Your life today is driven, and the decisions you are making today are driven by your beliefs about yourself. And if those beliefs are not true, and if those beliefs are corrupted, you're going to make wrong decisions. And you're going to end up struggling and suffering from those wrong decisions. You see, there's a war today, which you, don't, you may not see, but you have to believe. There's a war going on as we speak over your identity. God creates you and tells you, this is who you are. And the second he tells you who you are, someone out there, his enemy and your enemy, is there to tell you who you are not. And he is there to tell the exact opposite of who God tells you that you are. 
So God tells you, I created you as a masterpiece. You are skillfully and wonderfully made. And the devil says, you're junk. You are created by God and says, you are precious. And I give my blood for you. And you, the devil comes and tells you, no, 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 your life isn't worth that much. Go ahead and give it away to any boy in high school, any girl. You're not worth that much. There's a war over your identity. Who God creates us to be, and the devil likes to take that, and as he does everything in life, and distort it. And give you a distorted view of who you are. And we, unsmartly, stupidly, okay, we stupidly try to change the behavior without ever addressing the core belief. And I'm telling you, if I find, I just gave that example, so I'll just stick with it. If I find a girl in high school who is promiscuous, and I tell her, no, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do that. You can beat your head against the wall all day long, you're not going to get her changed. You know why? Because she has a core belief inside her that her value is pretty low. And she's not worth that much. So therefore, she's going to treat herself that way. But if I can get her to see her value is high, then her behavior will change. Every behavior comes from a belief. Every behavior comes from a belief. So we need to understand during this series is who it is that we are. And the proper belief will lead to the proper action and behavior in life. For example, I'll give you an example. There's a story in Genesis chapter 39, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, about a man named Joseph. Joseph was a young man, able-bodied young man, good health, like the Bible even says like he was an attractive young man. So Joseph had a lot going for him. He had some bad stuff happen to him and his brothers, you know, they got into a fight one day and they like, you know, threw him in a well, okay? And then after they threw him in a well, they sold him as a slave in Egypt. But you know, let bygones be bygones kind of a thing. Like it's just brother's horseplay, right? They send him off into Egypt. And now Joseph is basically an orphan. And the only family that he has hates his guts, try to throw him in a well. So he's got no one. He makes it into the house of this man named Potiphar, who's a very high-ranking official in Egypt. And while he's there, Potiphar's wife makes some advances on him. Now here you are, you're Joseph. You're away from your family. You know, when in Rome, you know what I'm saying? And she is the boss's wife. And she basically says, you come with me or else I'm going to make sure that he puts you in the dungeon. And she has all the power. And Joseph kind of knew how the game worked because she wasn't the first person that, that, that like he wasn't the first person that she made an advance on. This was kind of the way it was for the workers, is that the boss's wife kind of did this. How would any young man respond in this situation? He'd say, well, I mean, what would we all say? Well, God, I tried, but it must be the will of God. <laughs> Look what Joseph said. Joseph said, Genesis 39, 9, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? An emphasis there on the word I. Because what I believe Joseph was saying in that verse, Joseph was not judging and saying, this is sin and you're a sinner and get away from me, you wicked lady. He's basically saying, look, lady, I understand. You don't know the same God that I know. You don't know the God of my father, Jacob and the God of my grandfather Isaac, and the God of my great-grandfather Abraham. So I understand why you're living this way. But me? How can I do this great sin? I understand the other ones who don't believe in God like I understand. But me? How can I do this? See, Joseph put himself in a different bucket than everybody else. And I know that sounds like exclusive and snobbish and arrogant, but not in that kind of a way. Not in a, I'm better than you, but in a way... I'm better than you, and I hold myself to a higher standard than you. And you may fall into a certain thing, but me, I can't fall into that. Like, this is what's lacking in us, the children of God today. If I have a teenager who goes into his high school and says, I am not like everybody else. Everyone else is partying and drinking and smoking and doing all this stuff, and I don't judge them, but how can I do that? I'm a child of a king. Like, I have a great, great, great identity. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Our problem in life is we don't know who I am. We don't realize that I am in a different bucket than the rest of the world. That's why our behavior is the same as everyone else in the rest of the world. Because that's what the devil tries to do. He tries to tell you, God says, you're my son, you're special, you're something. The devil says, no, nah, no, nah, look around. These are all God's children. And look how all God's children the devil puts thoughts in our head. Can the devil control our thoughts? No, but he certainly can suggest them. And same thing with God. Like, God doesn't control our thoughts either. God and the devil, or let's say, uh, you're right side. God and the devil can suggest thoughts to us. When a thought is from the devil, it's called a 
temptation. When a thought is from God, it's called inspiration or revelation or whatever. And you choose which to accept. There is a war for your identity. Each one is telling you, you choose which one to accept. That's why in this war, our strongest weapon that we are going to hold fast to during this series is the truth. Jesus said in John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. How do I prepare my son to go fight the warfare in high school over his identity? Not by telling him what he is not, but by telling him what he is. And I tell my son, hopefully, I tell my son that, son, you're not like everyone else. God has a great plan for you. You're a leader. You're not a follower. So when you see everybody else smoking, you don't smoke. You're something special. You're not like them. When I, you see everyone else drinking, getting drunk, and that's their way of having fun, you realize that's not you. You're special. When boys and girls dating, you realize cooties are real, okay? And you stay awake. <laughs> Only the truth, okay, we should teach our children. I need my son to be equipped with the truth because I know that the world is not going to give him the truth. It's just going to give him lies. Another verse for you. Hosea 6, 4. How many of us does this apply to? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people walk out of church, don't know who they are, and it... First temptation come along to get destroyed. My people go off into these new careers. And because they don't know who they are, first temptation of money or promotion or career, anything like that, and it wipes them off. My people are destroyed because of lack of knowledge. What we're going to do in this series for the next five weeks, every week we're going to take one characteristic of who we are in Christ. One characteristic. This could be a hundred-week series because there's a lot who we are in Christ. It's not a hundred-week series. It's only five. It's not the only five things we are, but these are the five things that I think we struggle with the most who we are in Christ. And I'll give you just a sampling. Well, you are a masterpiece in Christ. You are a saint in Christ. You are a royal priest in Christ. You are a conqueror in Christ. You are a lot of beautiful things that we need to understand through this series in Christ. And the first thing, first characteristic that we're going to start with today, which is really the foundation for the rest of the series, like this one encompasses all the other ones. And if you don't understand this, you're going to struggle with the rest of them. I am a new creation in Christ. I am a new creation. Let's say that together. All with me. Say it with me. I am a new creation. Again, say it like you mean it. I am a new creation. I am not who I once was. That whoever I am today, and I don't know who that is yet, but the first thing I need to know about who I am today is it's not who I once was. I was created a certain way, and I was created again a second way in Christ. We know that Jesus, we love to say Jesus came to make all things new, all things new, all things new. What does all things new mean? You know what's the primary recipient of Jesus coming to say, I make all things new? Me. I'm new. St. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It's a good verse to memorize. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You ever thought about what this verse means? What does this verse mean? You've heard this verse before. Everything in Christ, new creation. Old things past, all things new. What does that mean? Is it just something spiritual and just something we say, you know what? Like, it means that every day is a fresh start with Jesus. Is that what it means? Or does it mean more? I think it means more. And I think what it means is that like it says, is that you were created one way from your father and mother, and then you were created a second way from your heavenly father and your heavenly mother which is the church you were created one way from your parents you were born into this world and then you were born a second way i know that sounds like a big topic i'm gonna give you a big high sounding word right here make you sound make you feel really smart then explain what it means it's a very easy word but it's just people like me when we stand up here we like to use complicated words you know why makes us feel smart okay i discovered that sometimes people say you know like some people would say like you know, maybe my preaching, and it's, and it's not, you know what I mean, deep, and it's not sophisticated, stuff like that. You know why people say sometimes that preaching is not deep? I discovered this. Because it's understandable. <laughs> and we think that if I say something that no one understands, oh, that guy's deep. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just, my thing is I try to be understandable, okay? And you may not see it as deep, but that's fine. I, I mean, it's fine. Neither here nor there, okay? The big church word that we're going to learn today, which sounds more complicated than it is, when the screen comes back, you'll see it, is the word regeneration. There it is. Regeneration. 
Big word, scholarly word, right? What does regeneration mean? If you look in the dictionary, it means to generate again, okay? But I want it to be a little more explicit, okay? What does regeneration mean? It means the process of being reborn, which is born again, or recreated, which is made new. Regeneration, all it simply means, don't, don't get confused, it means something exists, it was created, and then it was created again into a new way. So something was born, and then it was born again. Word that you may hear sometimes in Christianity. Let me tell you what regeneration is. Forget about spirituality. Let's go to the world of science. Where in the world of science, biology, nature, do we see regeneration? A caterpillar is created as a caterpillar. Slimy little guy. Okay, on his belly. Okay, I don't know if he has legs or whatnot. Eating dirt. You know what I mean? Like, a certain way. He was created a certain way. And that a moment in time... He goes into a cocoon, and then he is regenerated or recreated or born again as a butterfly. And the butterfly versus the, the caterpillar doesn't look anything alike. Like this one, dirt. This one, like fly. Okay? This one, eat leaves. This one, nectar, flowers. This one, ain't no one making an exhibit in the zoo for a caterpillar exhibit. Okay? But butterflies, they have their own exhibits all the time. The old doesn't bear much resemblance to the new. Like what I'm trying to say is the new, the butterfly, is not just a caterpillar with wings. It's not just a caterpillar that we painted a different color. It's not just like a slightly improved caterpillar, like caterpillar 2.0, or like the plus version. It's not. It's a whole new being. It's completely different, but it's the same. It's regenerated. It's the same, but it's not even close to the same. Can you imagine, what would you say if you are a butterfly and you see another fellow butterfly who doesn't realize he's a butterfly, who's living the caterpillar life? And you up here and you're flying around, y'all are hanging out, then you see one of your guys going down there and like stomping in line with the other caterpillars and eating dirt. You'd say, hey buddy, what you doing man? Up here. He says, no, 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 I'm down here. And he's down there, and he's eating dirt, and he's got the wings to fly, but he never flies. And he could eat the good stuff, and he's down there. What would you say to this guy? You'd say, hey, buddy, don't you know who you are? Don't you know what you are? You're not a caterpillar anymore. Yeah, you used to be a caterpillar, and I understand you live like a caterpillar when you used to be a caterpillar. But you're a butterfly. Man, spread them wings out, buddy, and fly. Life is much greater up here. It's tragic. If you're a butterfly, living as a caterpillar, it's a tragedy. Do you agree? Man, who cares about butterflies and caterpillars? It's tragic. Someone who's created to live here, who lives down there, who's given wings to fly, who's eaten dirt, it's tragic. Look what St. Paul says in Romans chapter 8. Verse 16 says, we are children of God. And if we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Y'all know what joint heirs means? That means that when Jesus signs his name and they say, this is for Jesus, we sign the joint, the, the co-signer. We're the co-signer of what he is given to him, joint heir. Mean whatever he inherits, we inherit. Whatever is coming to him is coming to us. And we live down in the dirt, but I'm no good. And I'm worthless. Anxiety and stress. Who's going to take care of me? And afraid and weak. We were created weak. We were recreated strong. We were created poor. We were recreated rich. We were created with all kinds of flaws and all kinds of things that should lead to the inevitable result of defeat. We were recreated with power and strength, which the inevitable result is conquering and victory. We were created in despair. We were recreated in hope and joy. That's what I'm saying. If you struggle with self-esteem, you're going to enjoy this series. This series is for you. You struggle to believe who you are and you kind of confidence low, stick with me for the next five weeks and try to discover who you are in Christ. Now let me say this kind of preface before I go any, any deeper. 
I know that I'm saying a lot of fancy schmancy words right now about who we are. And I know that there's a lot of people out here that are hearing what I'm saying in here, but in here is saying, not for you. Not true. Don't listen to him. I got 39 years of experience to tell you this is not who you are. And you got that little guy in your head that's hearing these words and instantly saying, uh-uh, not for you. Not going to change your life. Your life is going to still be miserable. I got you as soon as, I got, as soon as you walk out of here. I'm going to show you how miserable you are. You have that voice inside your head, don't you? Several people are smiling, meaning, yes, preach on. Why is it that it's so hard for us to believe that we're made new? Why is it so hard? It doesn't seem like that complicated of a topic if you're reading the scripture. Why is it so hard for us to believe? I think two reasons. I think we as human beings, we like tangible things. How do I know? How do you know I'm a priest? Because I'm wearing this. So when I became a priest, they gave me a new uniform that says, this makes you a priest. When you reach a certain rank in the military, they give you new stripes or whatever it is. You become a doctor, they give you like a white coat, and that's like the ceremony. Even Spider-Man wasn't Spider-Man until he got the suit, okay? Like the suit, we like something tangible, visible, that says, you are a new person, here's your new clothes to identify your new uniform. The other th reason why is because, like I said a minute ago, is our experience betrays the verses that we're reading. And it's easy for you to tell me you're strong. Then I go look in the mirror and I see weak. And you tell me I'm rich. And then I go back and look at my history. And my history says I'm poor. Like, you trying to convince me I could defeat a lion. Okay, but just yesterday there was a cat and I got scared of the cat. Wouldn't it be great if there was some kind of like evidence of us being a new creation? Something tangible, something touchable I can hold. Or is it just this fluffy, born again, like, yep, new creation. There it is. Ready? New creation. Wouldn't it be great if there was something touchable, tangible that I can put in my pocket, that I can say, yes, there it is, right there. Put on the coat. That's it right there. Wouldn't that be great? For the butterfly, is there something that tells him that he became new? See, here's our problem. I think we're asking the wrong question in life. I think oftentimes we are asking, how did I become new? How did I become new? How am I a new creation? How, 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 how? Don't ask how, because how I can't answer. Just like I really can't answer the, 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 the butterfly one. Okay, I can't answer. I'm sure, I'm sure there's somebody out there who's smarter than me that understands how it works. I don't understand how, but I understand where. So let's stop asking, how did I become new? And let's start asking, where did I become new? Because if I can figure out this is the cocoon, then I don't really need to understand what happens inside. I don't need to understand it. Because like I said, I don't know what happens to the butterfly inside. But I just know that like he goes in there, and there's people who are experts in these things, and they say, when he goes in here, this is what happens. You think God has a cocoon for us? Is there a cocoon? Well, let's see. Look at this verse. St. Paul talks about in Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. What is baptism? What is baptism? What is baptism in St. Paul's eyes? It's the cocoon. It's a cocoon. It's a cocoon where St. Paul is saying, you go in one way, some stuff happens, and man, you walk out in newness of life. Not like you walked in. You walk in a certain way, you walk out a different way. How does it happen? I don't know what happens. I don't know. But I know where it happens inside that cocoon. What I want to talk about here for the rest of our time together is what is baptism? Because baptism is one of those things that for most of us, it's just like an ancient, like a, you had a baby and it's like a church party. So you bring the baby and then like there's a guy taking pictures and everyone's screaming and then you the little bow tie thing, okay? And, and it's just like one of those things It's like, yay, it's like, a, it's like a, a spiritual party. Like happy birthday to you in the church is what it is, okay? And that's what baptism is. I don't think that baptism, I don't think we have any clue what happens in baptism. Just the same, we don't have any clue what happens to that butterfly in that cocoon. But I'm telling you, if you believe 
if you, you, not me, you believe that such a transformation can take place to a worthless little caterpillar in a tiny little cocoon, then how can you not believe that a greater transformation takes place in a divine cocoon, so to speak? Like if you believe that a, a little dinky little cocoon can make that much of a big difference between a butterfly and ca or caterpillar and butterfly, then what happens if God designs the process for us? How much greater would the transformation be? St. Paul thought very highly of baptism, and he said newness of life. The early church thought very highly of baptism, and that's why they said, you want to join us? Come be baptized, because that allows you to enter into a whole new world that you never knew before. And you know why? You know, even you go back further, who thought the highest of baptism? Jesus did. In John chapter 3, Jesus had a discussion with a man named Nicodemus, and listen to what he said. This is Jesus said this, okay? And don't spiritualize this. Do me a favor here before you read this verse. Do not read this verse in the context of the way you were raised. Do not. Erase your context. You were raised Orthodox, raised Catholic, raised Presbyterian, raised Lutheran, raised as nothing. Remove all that stuff. Get rid of it all. Let's just take this verse at face value and see what is Jesus saying in this verse. Because automatically we see this and say, oh, we interpret it this way. We just see what he's saying, all right? You can put your context back on as soon as I'm done. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus answered and said, how can a man be born again? Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Say it again. See if there's any room for wiggle room here. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You can spiritualize this as much as you want. You can interpret it in a million different ways, as many people have. I'm trying to read what Jesus said. And Jesus was very clear. He said, look, Y'all live a certain way. But to live up here, you have to be recreated. You have to be born again. So people said, okay, born again. What does that mean? Is that something spiritual? Is that something like a feeling? Is that something like, like, what does that mean? Can I really go back? And I even picture, I picture Nicodemus saying, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born like, ha, ha, ha. Okay, Jesus, I'm just going to jump back in my mom's womb. Ha, ha, ha. And Jesus didn't laugh. Jesus didn't laugh. Nicodemus was making a, yeah, right, Jesus, like, take it easy. Like, and Jesus didn't laugh. And he said, most assuredly, I say to you, let me be more clear is what he's saying. Let me be as blunt as possible. Unless one is born of water and spirit, cannot enter the kingdom of God. Spirit we know. Leave spirit aside. We understand. One must believe. One must surrender their life. One must accept the faith. Like one must accept Christ as the Son of God. We understand that. Everyone knows that. But what are you going to do with water? How are you going to treat water? Water is, the water of baptism is the means by which the mystery of being born again takes place. The water of baptism is the means by which the mystery of baptism, the mystery of being born again, I'm sorry, takes place. Look, as a society, as a, the society that we live in, our culture, we don't like things that we can't explain. And anytime there's something that we can't explain, the natural tendency is to say, that's hogwash. That doesn't make any sense. We don't believe that. We don't accept it. That's the natural inclination for us. It's just us. Like why I'm saying our society, because it really is just us. Because the rest of the world, especially civilizations in the past, were much more open to something beyond our ability to explain. But somehow it's the arrogance of our time, and it's somehow probably tied to technology and, 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 and Disney World somehow involved with it probably or something like that, that we feel like if I can't explain it, it's not true. Forgive me, that is a pathetic way to live life. That is a pathetic way to live life. 
to only believe in that which you can explain. Because basically what you were saying is, I'm the smartest person in the world, and if it doesn't make sense to me, it cannot be true. I'm telling you, the most, the likelihood is you're not even the smartest person in this room. <laughs> to say that I'm the smartest person in the world, you know why it's a pathetic way to live life? Because the best things in life are things that we can't explain. There are many things in life that we participate and partake of that we can't explain. I take a key, I stick it in my car, it goes on. I don't know how. I don't have the faintest idea. But by believing, I go places. I flip the switch, the lights go on. I push the little button, I push this button. How does this work? For all I know, there's aliens that are like shooting across and, and pushing. I don't know how it works. But I can benefit from what I don't understand. So why when it comes to our spiritual lives, no, 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 we don't understand it, so it can't be true. My job isn't to understand the truth. My job is to accept the truth. My job isn't to understand it. My job is to accept it and live my life based on that truth and enjoy what it does for me. And the truth, here's truth for you. The truth is, is there is no greater day in life than the day you were baptized. There is no greater day in life than the day you were baptized. You know, early church, they didn't used to celebrate birthdays, they used to celebrate baptism days. And I would love to bring that back. I would love it that we know our baptism day. Most of us don't even know our baptism day. That is the greatest day of our life, whether we realize it or don't realize it. Whether we realize it or don't realize it, because that is the day that we were made new. The word mystery, okay, is an important word in the Orthodox Church. Because what it says is, we believe, as we say, we have the, the Orthodox Creed that we recite every time we, we get together and pray. We believe in a God who created all things seen and unseen. So we, on a weekly basis, confess our faith that there is a seen world and an unseen world. And in this room, there is stuff that you can see and there's stuff that you cannot see. And you confess that faith, as do I, every Sunday and every time we recite our, our faith, our creed. So I'm telling you that in this unseen world is where the real stuff happens. In the seen world, we gather on Sunday and we bring a piece of bread. In the unseen world, that bread is given back to us as the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the seen world, on your wedding day, you and your wife walk down an aisle. In the unseen world, only one of you walked back. A new person, neither you nor her, but two became one. In the seen world, this morning, we had six people go down into a pool of water right over there. And in the unseen world, those six people were made new today. Were created again. Were regenerated. The same way you were when you were baptized. The same way I was. Oftentimes, when it comes to baptism, speaking now to those who are like baptized when they were young. Okay, this applies to you mainly. Many of us, we don't think so highly of our baptism. We don't talk about it. We don't think about it. Because there's this like, well, I don't want to offend people who aren't baptized. So if I make a big deal out of my baptism, like what about my coworker? She's a Christian. I don't want her to feel bad about her baptism. So I just, no, yeah, baptism is not that big a deal. And we don't think of it as a big deal. We don't talk about it as a big deal because we don't want to offend. Okay, that's nice. You don't want to offend her. But maybe there's someone else that you're offending. If you invite me to your house, you make a nice meal. Best meal ever. Oh, it's the best meal ever. Oh, no. You never tasted, uh, you know, uh, whatever, lasagna or pork or, or chicken nuggets like the way this person made it. You, you would never taste chicken nuggets like this person made it, okay? <laughs> not, the, not the microwave kind, like the oven kind, all right? Like you never had chicken nuggets like this. And then I find a friend who wasn't invited. He says, hey, how was the dinner last night? I don't want to offend him. So I say, no, nah, it wasn't that good. No, no, I mean, it was just chicken nuggets. I mean, and you're standing right there. I didn't want to offend this friend. But did I offend somebody else? Yeah, I offended you who made me the nuggets. I feel like we're that with God. How important is baptism? No, it's not that important. No, no, no. It doesn't matter. Just believe in your heart. Baptism doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. And God's saying, excuse me? Baptism doesn't matter? Look at this verse. This one I don't have memorized, so I'm going to struggle with this one. It's Titus 3, 3 through 5, before the screen comes back. If you want to know the verses on baptism, I'll make it easy for you. John 3, John 3, 3, thank you. John 3, 3, 
Titus 3, 3, and Galatians 3. Okay, those are the three passages on baptism. John 3, Titus 3, Galatians 3. Okay, that's where he talks about baptism. And specifically, Titus 3, 3, and John 3, 3. Both talk about being born again and washed again, okay? Titus 3, starting in verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's how we were created. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration or recreation and renewing of the Holy Spirit. He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What Titus, or St. Paul is saying in his epistle to Titus, is saying that we were created, and then God in his mercy, you didn't earn it. You didn't buy it. You weren't because you were good. He made you good. He made you new, and you're not like you were before. I always say about the mysteries of the church, okay, which are also referred to as the sacraments of the church. The mysteries of the church, again, they're a mystery. That's why I like the word mystery, because it really signifies what they are. What they are for us is a cocoon. They are a cocoon. The, the, the model in my mind is not really a cocoon, but it's a dumb exp example, but it, just stick with me. Remember Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Okay? Or, or Back to the Future? Okay? It's like a little time machine, but it's not a time. Don't think of it in a dumb way. What it is, it's the something. That we enter into this, and when we enter into this cocoon, this time machine, this whatever, we participate in the life of Christ in a invisible but real way. So when I enter on Sunday morning into this Eucharist, where am I? I'm at the Last Supper. There's Jesus. There's Matthew. There's Paul. Or not Paul. Peter, who was there. Peter was there. There's James. There's John. And there's me. And I'm at the Last Supper. And I don't know how. When I enter into the sacrament of repentance and confession, I open my eyes and where am I? I'm in front of the cross of Jesus. And I see him hanging there. And saying, this it's for you. And I say, I've sinned. Forgive me. And what happened on the cross, now I'm, I'm there at the cross through the mystery. Baptism, when I enter those waters, I'm in the tomb with Jesus. And as he was buried, I'm buried. That's why we go underwater. He was buried three days. We're buried three times, okay? Dunked three times. And then as he emerged, new life, glorious life, I emerge. New life, glorious life. The mysteries allow us to participate in an invisible but real, invisible but real, they allow us to participate in an invisible but real in the life of Christ. Here's the passage from Galatians 3 I was telling you about. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You see how the early church didn't distinguish between like, you believe or you're baptized. Like, believe and baptize were together. It was water and spirit were always together. It didn't distinguish. That, no, it's by baptism, by water only. No, it's by faith. It was never this, 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 this tension that we, that we fight with today. It's, no, we, it's never. It was you, you were created a son because of your faith, and therefore you were baptized. It was the next logical step, because it's what Jesus told us. As many as you were baptized in Christ Jesus, into Christ, have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. What is that? He's saying, you are not male, you are not female. You are not slave, you are not free. You are not rich, you are not poor. You are in Christ one. What is that? That is our identity. See how we define ourselves? Yeah, I'm an engineer. Yeah, I'm a lawyer. Yeah, I'm poor. Yeah, I'm rich. Yeah, I'm upper class. Yeah, I'm lower class. Yeah, I'm a Skins fan. Yeah, I'm a Cowboys fan. Look, all those things, get rid of those things. Who am I? I'm Christ's. I'm heir. This is my definition. And based on this definition, as we're going to start next week, we are going to see what that means and what is available to me. Think of it like, again, think of it like a last name. My mother and my father came together. I was born with their last name. I inherited everything in their house. And then after that, I was recreated when my heavenly father, 
Holy Spirit came together with my mother, the church. We always say that God is our father and church is our mother. The Spirit came together through the church, and I was recreated. And now I have the name Christ, and I put on Christ. And what we're going to see now that I'm in this household, what's available to me here? Oh, yeah, that's mine. Yeah, it's yours. I'm an heir. According to the promise, whatever is in here is mine. But you must define yourself first and foremost, not by your sinfulness, not by your weakness. Yeah, I'm an alcoholic. Yeah, I'm an addict to this. Yeah, I have a temper. Yeah, I have. Yeah, that is not your primary definition. Your primary definition is you are Christ. You are an heir according to the promise. You are his. Last thing I'll say. Some advice. I want to give some advice. And I want to speak two pieces of advice to two different groups. All right? And the advice is only going to be three words so you can remember the advice. First, to those who have been baptized, especially those who were baptized a long time ago. My first, my advice to you is remember your baptism. Remember your baptism. This was actually like a slogan in the early church, sort of. They used to say this. Remember your baptism. Remember your faith. So when you fall and you are down and you feel worthless, remember your baptism, that you are not worthless. And you may have fallen. Basically, it's like me telling my kid, no matter where you go, you got my last name. You never forget that. You're in trouble. You need help. You call me. You are mine. I have my last name. Your last name doesn't change. Unless you get married and take a new last name. But you know what I mean, okay? You have taken Christ's name. Uh, you have put on Christ. And as an adopted child into his family, okay, we were adopted into his family, all of the benefits of being in Christ apply to you. And if you want to learn more about in Christ, the New Testament has roughly 140 times where it says in Christ who you are. 140 times, roughly. In Christ, it says, like I said, we are conquerors. In Christ, we have been given every spiritual blessing. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 1. Every spiritual blessing has been given to us in Christ. In Christ, we are a royal nation. We are a, a royal priesthood. In Christ, we are made saints. There's so many things that says who we are in Christ. Remember your baptism and start to discover on a daily basis when you read the scripture who you are in Christ. For those who are not baptized, my advice to you, come and see. Come and see. When I say come and see, what I mean is come along for this journey for the next few weeks. Just listen. And just listen to what I have to say and what we're going to discuss. There's, there's, no, there's no agenda here. Like no one is going to come knock at your door and say, okay, you attended, now sign this, okay? Or, or, or we're not going to like start dunking people. Like nothing like that's going to happen. No one's going to try to sell you on anything. No one's going to try to sign you up for anything. Nothing. But I invite you to come and see what is available to us in Christ. And if you like what you see and you believe what you hear, then I invite you just to take another step forward. Because what I believe you will discover is that in Christ, St. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 1, Verse 18. My prayer for you, both baptized and not baptized, okay, it doesn't matter. My prayer is that you may know the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. I believe what the devil fears most about you, what the devil fears most, is you discovering who you are. That is the end of his power in your life. When you discover your true identity, he will war against it. But I'm telling you, if right now, if right now, you believe with all your heart, right now, with all your heart, if you believe that you had $10 million that you just won, and you believe that as soon as you go home today, you have $10 million cashier check, if you really, really, really believe that, would that affect how you go out to lunch today? Would that affect when the bill comes around and you're looking for like the calculator to see exactly what is 15% or 10%? Would that affect how you live the rest of this day? Would it? Absolutely. Well, if you really, really, really believe, $10 million is nothing. 
because you could really have $10 million today and lose it really tomorrow. But if you really believe that you are no more a child of the street, but you are a child of the king, that you are no more property of the devil for him to use as he wants, but you really, really believe that you are a new creation, would that have an impact on your life? Would that change how you talk to your wife? Would that change how you related to your coworker? Would that change how you treated your boss when he was yelling at you? Would that change your life? Man, absolutely. And that's why my prayer for you, for all of us, I invite you to join us as we discover who we are in Christ. And I guarantee you that if you know who you are, it'll make a difference in your life. Come and see, is all I'll say. Okay? Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you for choosing us and allowing us to be born in your family, for giving us this great gift of regeneration. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand who we are in you. No more we'd be just kind of tossed by the opinions of others, by the stuff we were told by our parents, by the crazy thoughts in our head. But you would allow us to know who I am, who I am inside you, and what's available to me as a member of your family. I pray, Lord, for every person who's here, especially those who are struggling, that you would help them during this time to put away like the preconceived ideas and just to know who they are inside you. I pray this in the name of your Son, the prayers of all your saints. Lord, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.